Welcome to the Lessons for Living television program. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. I love to study the parables because I believe that we can understand the teaching of our Lord Jesus better within the scope of the parables than any other way. You know, in the parables is contained the nature of the kingdom of God, the nature of salvation. So let's have a close look at a parable today. The story we're going to look at today is one that comes from everyday life. It's a very worldly picture. The parable says nothing about religion. It doesn't talk about miracles. Nobody's healed. In fact, it talks about the labor market. It talks about some very real problems that an employer is having who needs employees. It talks about men who are unemployed. It talks about wages and labor contracts and agreements and rates of pay. A very unattractive illustration. But in this parable, as we're going to see, we have some very, very important things. I believe we have within this parable the nitty-gritty of salvation. So I'm going to ask you if you've got your Bibles there at home, turn to Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to read the first 16 verses. Now, the kingdom of God is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After he'd agreed with the workers to pay them a denarius, he sent them out into his vineyard. Then he went out around nine in the morning and saw others standing around in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. And they went. Again, around noon, then at three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. Around five in the afternoon, he went out and found others standing around and he said to them, why are you just standing around here doing nothing all day long? Well, because nobody has hired us, they replied. He responded, you also go into the vineyard. Well, when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the workers and give them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and moving on finally to the first. When those who were hired at five in the afternoon came, each one received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled against the landowner. These who were hired last worked one hour. They received the same pay as we did, even though we had to work the whole day in the hot sun. And he replied to one of them, Friend, I did you no wrong. Didn't I agree to pay you a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I want to give to this one who was hired last the same as I give to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you resentful because I'm generous? So those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. 
Now let's take a look at the story itself. Here's a householder. He needs some men to work in his vineyard. The stage of the harvest is not indicated, and so the householder went to the marketplace. Now in the marketplace, every commodity was available. If you wanted to buy some vegetables, you went to the market. Whatever you needed was at the market, and that was true of labor. The marketplace was the place to which men who wanted employment went and where they were hired. And so this good man goes to the marketplace and he saw men standing there who had not been employed. It was early in the morning. It was 6 a.m. when the first men were hired. And he sent them into his vineyard to work. And in the course of the day, the record tells us he went back four more times. He went at 9 o'clock. He went back at noon. He went back at 3 p.m. And then finally back at 5. All of the men worked until sundown. Now notice he questioned the men in the marketplace. He asked them, why are you standing here idle all day long? And they said, well, no one has hired us. Now I want you to observe something here that the men were willing to work, and that is extremely important. They were willing to work. They hadn't been invited to work. Now let's talk a little bit about the wages. It was agreed with the men that went to work at 6 a.m. A definite amount was set. A contract was established. They agreed to work for a denarius, an honest day's wages. The men accepted the contract and went into the vineyard. But I want you to notice the difference between that first group and all of the rest. To the men that he hired at 9 a.m. and noon and 3 p.m. and 5, he said, go into the vineyard and work and I will give you what is right. So I want you to see this, that that last group of men, the 9 a.m., the noon, the 3 p.m. and the 5 p.m., they all went to work in the vineyard of that householder because of their confidence in his integrity. The amount was not agreed upon. You notice that. They all went because they felt that this householder would do to them that which is fair. Now, up to this point, there is nothing unusual about this story. Everything is quite clear. But now here is where the trouble begins. You see, at the end of the day, when the steward of the good man called all the laborers, there was a commotion. It was a financial fact that the men who had worked from early in the morning were paid exactly the same amount as the men who had worked from 5 p.m. to sundown. They were paid the same amount of money as the men that had braved the heat of the day. Now, the men who had gone into the field first began to complain. They filed the grievance. They felt, well, that since they had worked in the heat of the day, that they deserved more. But the householder said to them, look, 
When we made our original agreement, did you not agree that that bargain was fair? You accepted it, didn't you? Well, they could not help but agree that they'd accepted. They said, yes, I agree, agreed, but the whole thing is still not fair. Now, let's just use our imagination for just a little bit. What if this householder had continued this plan? You know, this idea that no matter what time of day a man went to work in his field, he always got the same amount of money as the one who went early. Like, when the word would get around that this was his method of operating, what would happen? Well, there would not be a man in his right mind that would be so stupid as to go to work for this man at 6 o'clock in the morning if he could go at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and receive exactly the same pay. No one, no one is going to be so brainless as to do 10 times the amount of work for the same money. These men obviously are not fools. They have all their wits about them. Now, what conclusion can we arrive at here? Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. We can conclude that it is the householder is the fool. He is turning the whole economy of the marketplace upside down. I remember in grade 9 English class with Miss Mathers at Silverthorne Collegiate in Etobicoke. I read The Merchant of Venice. Shylock complains about the ripple effect of Antonio not charging interest on his loan when he says in Act 1, Scene 3, what is known as Shylock's soliloquy. How like a fawning publican he looks. I hate him for he is a Christian. But more for that in low simplicity, he lends out money gratis and brings down the rate of usance here with us in Venice. If I catch him once upon the hip, I will feed fat the ancient grudge I bear him. Our first observation would be that this employer is violating all the rules. You see, he ought to check each man in and ask, how many hours did you work? Well, I came to work at three. Okay, so you worked this many hours. This is how much you get each hour. And every man ought to be rewarded according to his works. If the householder continues this practice, he will not be able to get anyone to work during the heat of the day. No one would be willing to work for him except late in the afternoon. Well, that's the story. That's the way Jesus told it. These are the problems. See, these are the things that were going on in people's minds. Now, may I make this observation? And as I, as I read the Gospels, I find this is ever so true. Jesus was always turning things upside down. You know, the things that the people stood guard over and said, that's, this is important, Jesus would say, that's not important. The things the people thought were not important Jesus picked them up. You know, the people, you know, the priests, the Levites, the Pharisee. Everyone admired them. They looked up to them. So Jesus comes along and he tells them the, the story. 
and he makes the hero of the story the Samaritan that everyone despised. They couldn't even use the word Samaritan. But Jesus took the Samaritan that was despised and said, do like this man and you will be all right. You know, the same way with the publican, Jesus lifted up that publican that everyone despised. Do like this man. Pray like that tax collector and you will be all right. And so you go down through the stories Jesus told in the gospel. Jesus was always turning everything upside down. Now, why do you think he did it that way? You know, a person might say that, well, he's trying to get their attention, you know, by being unusual, by being different. You know, he loved this crowd, and, but this you have to reject. Why did Jesus turn everything upside down? Now listen to this. It's because our thinking is so twisted. And Jesus turned things upside down to give us a new standard of evaluation, a whole new way of looking at salvation. That's what he's doing here in this parable. Now, what is the key? There is only one point at which this parable can be unlocked. That point is the, what, the point that Jesus wants it unlocked. Now, what is that point? Well, let's look at what prompted Jesus to tell this story. Peter approaches Jesus with a relatively outlandish question. Matthew chapter 19, verses 27 through 30. Then Peter replied, look, we've left everything and followed you. What will we have? And Jesus said to them, I assure you who have followed me, that when everything is made new, when the Son of Man sits on His magnificent throne, you will also sit on twelve thrones overseeing the twelve tribes of Israel. And all who have left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, or farms because of my name will receive one hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last." And many who are last will be first. So Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, we have forsaken everything. We have done what that rich young ruler would not do. We sold everything. We left our nets. We left our business. Now, what are we going to get out of this? And Jesus gives him this double answer. You know, he gave... Peter, the answer about sitting on 12 thrones, right? You'll recall that, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Verse 28. What a promise. What a tremendous promise. But then he extended a warning in order to straighten out everybody's thinking. He gives this warning in the parable. Now, your question might be, well, why is this parable a warning? It's a warning because he said the first may be what? Last. And the last may be what? First. That's turning things upside down. Now, why did the Lord need to give Peter this double answer? First, about the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes. 
Let me tell you a little bit about this double answer. At the heart, and this is sometimes where we need to do some thinking as Christians. You see, we want to follow so closely the will of God, and we want to do exactly what the Lord says that we ought to do, that we can sometimes fall into that same trap that Peter did, which is the trap of legalism. I meet a lot of Pharisees, folks that have the same misconception that Peter had, the same deep-seated error. You see, Peter thought that salvation could be measured by units of work. The more you work, the more you will be rewarded. Peter was not yet converted. He did not understand the free grace of God. And this parable is a parable of God's free grace. Our salvation does not depend on how much we have done, but our salvation does depend, always and always has depended upon the generosity of God. That's what we call grace. This is a parable of the grace of God. We need to have our eyes anointed until we see it just that way. You see, salvation is not like a business transaction. Salvation is something else entirely. Now let's talk about our works. You'll notice that every man was paid the same, but not according to their works. But I do want to underscore that every man was willing to work. You know, so now some say, and, and some believe, and they do say that, you know, only believe. What we do has nothing to do with our redemption. Well, they could not be more wrong. What we do does have something to do with our redemption. If these men there in the marketplace had refused to work, they would have never known the generosity of the householder. But in the meantime, their reward was not in keeping with their works as it was utterly and completely by the generosity of the householder. Now, what was Peter's flaw? Peter was still a hireling. He was still working and still looking for what he could get. Peter had not yet learned the joy of working for God, the joy of working and not for what you are going to receive, not for what you're going to get, just for the joy of serving the Lord. You see, Peter thought that salvation could be determined by the amount of his work. You know, the good and the bad would be weighed in the balance. And Jesus attacked this whole concept in this parable. It's not a matter of good or bad or how much we do or how little we do. It all depends upon the generosity of our Lord. Now, let's see what's in the mind of the householder. So let's assume that those men that had worked all day long had a family children. And those children needed bread, they needed milk, 
and all of the provisions that were required in any household. And they were paid a wage that was the going rate. Now, the man that comes at 5 and worked from 5 o'clock until sundown, didn't his family have the same need? Weren't his children just as hungry? Weren't the needs of his family just as urgent? So you'll notice that the householder paid the men not according to their work, but according to their need. And the Lord Jesus said, that's the way it is in the kingdom of God. It's according to our needs, not according to our works. Well, now the end of the parable and its application. At the end of the day, the men that had worked all day long, they felt cheated, but they weren't cheated. They began to criticize the generosity of the householder. What they were doing was demonstrating legalism. They were criticizing the generosity of the householder. Christian salvation is not a legal code. Christian salvation is unlimited kindness. It is unlimited forgiveness. And as we've seen today, Christian salvation is unlimited generosity. God does not give us eternal life because of our works. It is because of our need. Salvation has no relation to how much we have done, how many hours we have worked, but God looks upon the spirit of that service rather than the amount of service. You know, we talk about righteousness by faith. That is exactly what this parable is teaching. Righteousness and salvation by the grace of the householder. That salvation never be a matter of human works. Our salvation always and always and always is by the generosity of our wonderful Lord. Let me close with the words of the Apostle Paul, who of all men grasped this great principle that Jesus was talking about in the parable of the vineyard workers, a text that you all know. It is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let us pray. Our gracious God, our loving Heavenly Father, thank you for your generosity, the gift of eternal life that you extend to everyone who was open and willing to receive that gift. Father, if there's anyone within the reach of my voice that has not accepted Jesus as Lord of their life and Savior of their soul, may they do so right now and experience the generosity of our good God. Bless each and every viewer, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, we've come to that time in the program where we have a special offer. On each and every program, we make a resource available. And today, we happen to be a book that is going to help you, and I hope incentivize you to learn more about what we've been studying today, the generosity of God, this outrageous grace. That happens to be the name of the book that we're offering today. It is a book we've offered in the past. We've gotten very positive feedback. It is simply called Outrageous Grace. We hope you will accept our offer. It is a gift. You're never going to receive an invoice for it. You're never going to be asked to pay for it. You're never going to be asked to do anything about it. You just simply receive it. We would encourage you to read that book, study, learn more about the generosity of our good God. If you're interested in receiving today's offer, Outrageous Grace, and pay close attention to the information we're about to provide you. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. That's the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. And we would be happy to send the offer out to you. That's Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you can order this offer by calling our 1-800 number and speaking with one of our volunteers at 1-800-972-0337. 1-800-972-0337. Operators are standing by now. While on our website, you can leave a prayer request and if impressed to do so, donate to help keep this ministry on the air. Thank you for your support. Well, we've come to the end of another Lessons for Living television program. Thank you so much for watching. Just in the final moments that we have, let me just draw your attention to a couple of things that I think are important. I hope you'll find them important too. One of them is our website, l4ltv.com. On the website, you can find all of the previous programs we've ever aired under the previous programs tab. Archived sermons is a listing of different video lectures that I've given around the country. You can watch the video and then there's a handout that you can download to accompany you. You can use that as a study guide. It's a great way to learn more about those topics. And I would encourage you to check those out. You can also go to the Donate Today tab, which is if you're so interested, if you feel so moved by the Holy Spirit to make a donation to our ministry, you can do that from the Donate Today tab. Every dollar you get is eligible for a receipt for income tax purposes because we are a charitable organization. Follow me on Instagram, Santos underscore Bill. Every morning, 6.30 a.m., I put out a one-minute devotional video. Check that out. Great way to get your day started as you focus on things of God. Like our Facebook page, subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow me on Twitter, SoundCloud. We have an account on SoundCloud. We'll have an audio version of this program that you can download and carry with you. Check that out also. Before we go, final moments, check out missionnowcanada.com. That is the website that 
showcases the overseas humanitarian work that we do, check that out, missionnowcanada.com. We're all out of time. We got to go. See you next time. God bless you. See you.